Good morning and greetings in Jesus' name. It's a blessing to be able to worship here with you all this morning. I have uh, chosen to bring a message here this morning that I brought at Bethany sometime back. Uh, I think it was somewhere around the middle of last year. I uh, A couple years ago, at Bethany had preached a series of messages through the Sermon on the Mount and then uh, sometime or another a little while after, later following that I preached a series of messages through the book of Ephesians and then last summer I started preaching through First Peter and I found that when you take a passage and you dig into it that you can find lot of there's a lot of things in God's word that in in small packages we don't need to look at a full chapter to uh, find things that God has for us and lessons that we can apply to our own lives so we'll be looking this morning at the first two verses of first Peter I invite you to turn there so Essentially, what we're looking at here this morning is the introduction to the book of First Peter. I'd like to read those, these first two verses at this time. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. So we have the introduction here. So we have introduced, first of all, the writer. The writer is Peter, one of the twelve disciples, one of the Lord's inner circle, the closest of the disciples that that were the ones that were closest to him in, in his time on earth. And I'd just like to think about Peter a little bit, because I think when we read God's Word, as we understand the writers and their backgrounds, and it helps us to understand their message, uh, and how, how they present things. And I believe that we probably know more about Peter than any of the other disciples. We probably know more about Peter than anybody else in the New Testament other than possibly the Apostle Paul and then the Lord Jesus Christ. During Jesus' ministry, when the disciples were with Jesus, Peter was often at the forefront. Often we see him acting impulsively, saying things quickly uh, that you have to wonder how much he regretted later. And I believe that, or I find it interesting how many people have a, a they they want to they identify with Peter. Uh, 
And I believe it's because we know so much about him. We know so much about his humanity. We see him acting impulsively. We see him making blunders. And in his humanity, we see ourselves. And we see that if there was hope for Peter, then there must maybe be hope for me as well in my humanity. I want us to consider that a little and think about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in Peter's life. Because as we look at Peter previous to the day of Pentecost, which is, you know, I think when we think of Peter, at least for myself, I think of, of Peter the disciple. Peter the one who made many social blunders. Peter who said many impulsive things. But after the day of Pentecost, we see a different person. He went from a misguided and sometimes a bumbling person speaking out of place from denying the Lord to one of the foremost leaders of the early church, a man who was on fire for the Lord. And I challenge you to sometime read Peter's sermon to the people there on the day of Pentecost. And consider as you read it, consider the fact that approximately 40 days before Peter spoke those words, he denied knowing the Lord Jesus. And so I bring that up to point out that as we think of Peter, that he is a prime example of what God can do with a person who has surrendered to him. A person that's committed, that is sold out to saying, God, I surrender my life to you no matter what it takes. Is another, another aspect of Peter is that he was, as far as what we know, he was an uneducated man. He was, he was a fisherman by trade. But yet we see him after the day of Pentecost after a full surrender to, to the Lord Jesus Christ, we see Peter becoming a powerful speaker. We see him becoming a dynamic leader. And it tells us that God can work with ordinary human beings like you and me, but it takes surrender. When we surrender, then God's power can work through us. The Jewish leaders in Acts 4, 13 recognized that when uh, Peter and John stood before the Sanhedrin after they had healed the, the lame man and gave their defense, the Jewish leaders were amazed and they took note that these, these were unlearned and ignorant men, but they took note of the fact that these men had been with Jesus. And that's a challenge to me. Because when people see me, when people see you, do they take note that I 
and you have been with Jesus, I'm convinced that it makes a difference in our lives. If we, if we surrender to Him, if we immerse ourselves in His Word, and our goal becomes living for Him, we talked in Sunday school about uh, being dead in our sins versus alive in Christ. If we're experiencing and living that, that life in Christ, it's going to show. And I believe that's what we see in Peter's life. And it's a challenge for us. Now, bring all that up kind of as a side note, but as we look at this writing, I can't help but be impressed with, the, with, with, with Peter, the man who wrote it, and what it, what it took for him, the sacrifice on his behalf that allowed him to be used by God and the challenge that that should be for each of us, that we can do great things for God if we're surrendered to him. So moving on here in these verses, so he introduces the writer as Peter, an apostle of the Lord of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Asia, and Bithynia. This term strangers here is interesting. Most likely, we don't know for sure, but most likely he used it because he was speaking to those who had fled from the area around Jerusalem to these other areas to escape persecution. He as well could have been referring to those who in those areas had heard and received the gospel message. And another version that I just happened to read this, read this in this morning has even just a slightly different twist on it. it. Calls them strangers in the world, which would maybe give a little bit of the idea of they're separate from the world. They're they're not part of the the world and the world's way of doing things. So he is writing to these people who were. You know, Peter was back there in in Jerusalem. He was writing to these people in these other areas and these. These areas that are listed here are all in what we would know today as the country of Turkey. And I found it interesting that some commentators feel like that it's possible that Peter traveled to, had traveled previously to that area and preached the gospel message. We don't know that for sure. So he was writing to these believers in that area, and then in verse 2 he identifies them as they elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father. Now I want to talk just a little bit about that term, those terms elect and foreknowledge. Because there's a good bit of debate over the centuries regarding those terms. You know, I thought it was interesting that uh, Brother Ben brought up that subject in our Sunday school class this morning. Some teach that God in His foreknowledge elects or chooses 
some people to salvation and he chooses to condemn others to hell. And I believe that there's a few clues just right here in these verses that can help us to unpack and understand what these what those terms are speaking about. So elect here means chosen. Elect of God. Chosen of God. And so it's easy to see that if we read this and we're chosen of God, we can jump to the conclusion that each individual that has believed has been pointed out, has been fingered by God. I want you. But I think we need to ask the question before we jump to that conclusion. We need to ask a simple question, and that is, if, if God has chosen, what has He chosen for? Now, there's a couple things here in verse 2. It says that, that God is elected through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to talk about those three things. And first of all, I want to point out that in this verse, we have the Trinity. It says that the foreknowledge of God, the sanctification of the Spirit, and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So, that's just uh, a little bit of a, of a side note. But that stood out to me. So, first of all, we have sanctification. What is sanctification? Sanctification is, is purification or making something holy. Something that is sanctified is made holy. It is set apart as holy. So we see that God is electing or choosing that His people would be pure, would be sanctified. Sanctified through the work of the Holy Spirit unto obedience. And so the Spirit is at work in the heart of the believer, in the heart of those He is calling, prompting us towards a life of holiness, prompting us towards obedience to God. I don't believe that you can separate sanctification and obedience. I don't think there's any way that we can be sanctified, that we can come to... Uh, a level of, of purity in God's eyes without being obedient to Him. Because it's through obedience that we become sanctified and set apart as holy to God. We also have here the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. And in the Old Testament sacrificial system, the sprinkling of the blood of the sacrifice was used to purify. And in the New Testament dispensation, in, in the Gospel that the blood of Jesus Christ, the shedding of His blood is how we find atonement for our sins. It's because Jesus shed His blood. Again, it's part of that sanctification and purification. So I believe that what we see here is that God in His foreknowledge and His 
foreknowledge that mankind was going to sin and be separated because of that sin, God provided a way that man can be sanctified, can be made holy, can be brought back into a right relationship with the Holy God. God's purpose is to bring people out of sin and into a life of holiness. And we can see through many scriptures in the New Testament that God's desire is that all mankind would experience that, would experience that cleansing and sanctification and would go forth living a holy life. I'm just going to read a number of verses that tell us that. John 3.17, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. See, we the gift that God sent wasn't for this person and that person, but not for a bunch of others. It's for the whole world. 1 Timothy 2.4 Who will have all men to be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth? See, God would have all men to be saved. Titus 2.11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. Again, God's grace, His enabling power, His, His free gift has appeared, has been made available to all, not just a special group. In 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, for not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he says here that God is, is, is long-suffering. He's giving opportunity because He wants all men to come to Him in repentance. It's not His desire that any would perish. So God has provided a way of salvation, a way of cleansing from sin for all people of the world who are willing to accept His free gift, His free offer of salvation through Jesus Christ. And God, and, and God has, has elected, He has chosen that all who will accept His call will be saved and will be purified by the blood of Christ. But not all are going to surrender not all are going to make that decision. So God has, as well, on His foreknowledge, predecided, He has elected that those who reject Him will suffer eternal punishment. So Peter was writing here to the elect, to those who had accepted God's free gift of salvation to all people to those who were striving through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to live in the sancti a sanctified life through the Spirit, to live in obedience. So often I feel that our human tendency is to focus on salvation as, as salvation from eternal damnation. 
we focus on the gift of God and that it saves us from hell. It gives us eternal life in heaven with Christ someday. But I believe that in this verse here, I believe it makes it clear and it's elsewhere in Scripture as well that God's desire isn't just for, for salvation in heaven someday, but His desire is for us to be saved here on this earth, to be sanctified, to be set apart in our life here. So God's desire isn't just for salvation. God's desire is for sanctification. And you know, I don't think that we can separate salvation and sanctification. They go hand in hand. If we want to accept God's offer of salvation, we have to accept His desire for His people to be sanctified, to be made holy. Striving for and striving for a life of holiness will never bring us salvation. That's works. That's trying to attain salvation through works. But true salvation, true surrender to the Lord Jesus, will bring us to live a life of holiness and obedience. And that's what God has chosen, has elected for His people, that they would be a holy and separate and set-apart people. And I'd just like to turn back to some very familiar verses in 2 Corinthians chapter. Six. I'd like to read 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 through 18. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? And what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? <clears throat> and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, or because, because of this, because God wants us for His people and He wants to dwell with us, He says, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you and be a father unto you and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Those are verses speaking of separation, of being sanctified, set apart. It's what God has, has chosen, how God has, has preordained that His people should live. I feel that we need to have more emphasis in our, in our lives on that fact. That God has has ordained for His people to be separate and holy people. Because we all have a tendency to be affected by the things in the world around us, to be drawn in to the things of the world. It troubles me when I see people in the church People that are God's people that seem to have a strong attraction to the world and the things of the world. It troubles me when I see how quickly 
fads and fashions of the world start affecting people within the church. Because, you know, we just read that, that God wants us to be separate. It troubles me when I see people push back against biblical standards because of whatever reason. Because... You know, those, those standards are in place to help us, to give us some, some, some guidance, to help us to be that holy, set-apart people that God desires. It troubles me because we as humans, and I'm including myself in this, we want to be a part of God's elect that experience salvation from eternal damnation. But do we want to be a part of God's elect? Those that are sanctified. Those that are made holy. Those that are separate from the ways of the sinful world in this life. I don't believe that we can have the one without the other. I think if we try to separate the one and have salvation without sanctification in this life, I believe that we're probably in grave danger of losing both. Because sanctification, I believe, is an outworking of, of a true surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're striving for sanctification without a true surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't think we'll attain to that either. And so I think that we're, we're in grave danger of losing both. I believe that sanctification, a holy, separate life, and salvation are inseparably intertwined no matter how hard we might try to separate the two. So I was pondering this message this morning. I had to think that when we focus on salvation from simply an eternal aspect that I want to be saved from eternal damnation, that focus is about me. I'm looking to save myself, so to speak, from God's wrath. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't want to diminish that aspect of salvation. But when we also, when we, along with that, have an emphasis in our life of, of sanctification, being set apart for God, being separate from a sinful world, our life then becomes not focused on me, but it, or our salvation becomes not focused on me, but it becomes focused on God because I am. I am saying, Lord, I surrender those desires to you so that I can live a, a, a separate and sanctified life. And I believe that's what God is looking for. He's looking for people that are willing to lay it all down and live for him. And that's why I wanted to point out the life of Peter at the beginning, because that's the change we see in Peter. And it's the change that can happen in our lives today. Then wrapping this up, 
there in verse 2, Peter gives his salutation to those he is writing to. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. It's a blessing or a prayer for these believers that they would be partakers of God's enabling grace that would empower them to serve Him faithfully. And you know, we need God's grace. We need His enabling power to live a separate and sanctified life. And then we see that the end result of that of their faithful, obedient service to the Lord would be peace, grace, to live the life, and peace is the result. I just want to make just a brief observation on peace. The world would tell us that when I'm in control of my life, that's when things are going well. I'm doing things my way. It's some of the most peaceful people that I have observed in life are some of the ones that are living the most surrendered, life they've given up of of the desires of self and have surrendered to the Lord Jesus and some of the people that I've observed that appear to be to have not attained to a level of of peace are the ones that who have not been able to surrender themselves to the lordship fully to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If you want peace, you're going to seek surrender. You're going to seek the sanctification that Peter's talking about here. Setting apart, separating yourself from the things of the world and, and, and surrendering wholly to the Lord. So may we each this morning go forth and experience that same grace and peace in our lives, the grace to live a separate, sanctified life, and the peace that will follow as we surrender to Him, surrender to God's will for His people. And it's through that that not only will we find peace and joy in our own lives, but it's through that that will be an example to the watching world around us. May God bless you.